The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. For that, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, how was your week? Was it good? Good. My week was good too. Let me tell you about it. Um, my wife went to Vegas and it was planned. She didn't just didn't leave me. Um, she went to Vegas for a girls weekend with some of her best friends from Atlanta and, um, and she sat by the pool and sipped uh, LaCroix all day and, uh, and we had daddy daycare at my house. And so it was amazing. If you don't know, I have three kids, Roman three, Eden seven, Deacon eight. And we just had a blast all week, uh, all week. I said in the first service, five days she was gone. I think it was actually like three, but uh, I'll never miss an opportunity to be the martyr, okay? And so, um, so she came home yesterday and she's excited to be home and she walks in the house. She's like, oh, am goodness, what happened here, right? I'm like, well, it was daddy daycare, right? When daddy is here and mom's not here, we do whatever we wanna do. <laughs> daddy, can we eat ice cream at eight o'clock before we go to bed? Yes, you can eat ice cream before you go to bed. Why would you not eat ice cream before you go to bed, right? It was that kind of week for my house. And we had a blast. And when Laura came home, it looked like a tornado came through. Like it was a disaster. Really, it was, honestly. And so, but we had a great week. I love parenting. I love my kids most every single day. And, um, you know, there are moments though in my house when we have these, uh, these, these parenting moments like, son, you need to do this. And we have this response, daddy, anything but that, right? I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. Those moments for me were like, um, Matthew, that's my, my mom called me, Matthew, you need to make your bed before you come out of that room, right? I'm like, mom, anything but that, right? Do you remember what your anything but moment was? <clears throat> for my kids, it's like, um, dad, anything but folding laundry. Today, as a grown-up kid, my anything but moment is, hey, baby, I need you to unload the dishwasher. Baby, anything but that, right? Like anybody not like to unload the dishwasher? I can't stand unloading the dishwasher because inevitably there is something in there that I have no idea where it goes. You know what I'm talking about? Like what even is this utensil thing? And uh, my wife's like, you've been here for three years, baby. Why don't you know where this goes? I'm like, I just don't know. No. Like, why can't we invent self-cleaning dishes? Anyways, I don't even know if that was part of the sermon this morning, but here's the thing. These anything but moments, right? Like, like, like we have those in the ordinary occasions of life, but I think spiritually, I'm just speaking for me, I have some of these anything but these moments, God. Like, like, uh, like God, is that really what you're asking? Like, anything, God, but that, I'm not just talking about the big things of life. I'm not just talking about like, God, what would you have me do for a job? Or where do you want me to spend next summer? Or God, what would you have me major in? Or God, what about this spouse? Or, or God, what about this house? Like, I'm not just talking about the major things. I'm like, anything but that, God. Grace, God, anything but that. In this moment, forgiveness, God, anything but that. Talk to this person on the plane, anything but that, God, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? We have these anything but that moments. We're in the book of Jonah in the second week of a series called The Ever-Chasing God. And really one of the themes that we have in this book is this anything but that theme, right? We know we were in Jonah 1 last week. If you were here, if you missed, I'd encourage you to check out the podcast. But, but we, we read chapter 1. We're going to try to take a week per chapter. But today I'm going to go back to chapter 1 and finish it out. But in chapter one, we saw from the very first word that God spoke to Jonah and we know God said to Jonah, Jonah, this is my will for you. 
rise and go to Nineveh. And Jonah, we're introduced from the very first few verses, we're introduced to this anything but that God um, scenario. God, you want me to go to Nineveh? Anything but that. You want me to go east? I'm going to go west. And so we are dealing with a scenario here where God has exposed his will for a man. And that man looked Jesus, that man looked the Father in the eyes, and he said, God, I would rather be out of your will and away from your face and go my own way than be in your will looking at your face and going with you. And Jonah 1 is this incredible book. It's, in Jonah, it's this incredible chapter where we see the story of this man who knows what it, God's will is for his life, and he chooses to do alternate and opposite of that. And, and so from the very outset, I want to come back to two themes today, and I really want to press in on these two ideas before we move ahead in the book of Jonah in chapter 2 next week. And the two themes I really want to press in on are the purpose of humanity and the power of God, because I think there are powerful themes that we see throughout the scripture, and they shape the rest of what we read and how we interpret what God is saying to us. And so let me just posture before you at the very beginning of this sermon this morning that Jonah shows us that we were created for a much greater purpose than just our own lives. And, and, and I know that may sound simple, and it may sound like I, I, I understand that, but really, I, I really want us to peel back the layers here for just a moment because um, I think there are the opportunities in all of our lives where our lives are misaligned with God, not just because we are, we are acting outside of God's best for our lives, but here's really where I see the misalignment for many of our lives in, as we live and try to um, uh, um, understand Jesus' will for our life. I think where the misalignment happens is when we never seek the face of God for what our life will be. And I believe that's disastrous for us, never to seek the heart of God to say, God, what is your purpose for me? Like, I think we just oftentimes find ourselves moving and living and existing in a direction that we are just, just unconscious of that, the fact that maybe God this is not God's best for us. And I think where we find misalignment is this fact that we never honestly got before the Lord and we said, God, what is your purpose for me? And I, I know innately we probably go to this idea of like the big things in life, seeking the purpose of God for our life. Like, God, what would you have me do vocationally? God, what would you have for me um, financially? God, what would you have for me uh, in my relationships and like the future but, but the purpose of God for your life is not just the future, it's the present. Have you ever honestly got before the Lord this morning and said, God, what is your purpose? I had a conversation with a lady after the service today, and she said, I believe God spoke to my heart because I'm walking through some financial situations about what to do with my money, and I've really never asked God, God, what would you have me to do here? And I believe that's where the misalignment comes. When we walk away from the relationship, the face of God in the purpose of our life. Now, when we talk about the will of God, um, th there's a couple different categories here. There's the moral will of God. Like, like God, the, the, God, what's your will for my life is a vocational question. It's a moral question. It's a generosity question. And there are some things that God would look at you and say, my will for you in this scenario morally is the same for everybody, for the person in front of you right now, the person to the right or to the left of you. There is a moral will of God that stays the same for all of us in this room. 
But then there are other circumstances and scenarios, vocationally in other way, where, where there may be a specific plan and purpose for your life. Now, theologians will disagree at how we arrive at knowing God's will for us. Some theologians will say um, the will of God is not like this corn maze. You know, like this is Halloween. You go through this corn maze and you try to nap. It's not like a corn maze where you, where you have to navigate all these ins and outs. But if you would just trust God with the daily twists and turns, eventually you will arrive at his will. And then on the other hand, some theologians will say you should actively seek the heart of God at every crossroad in your life to determine what is it that God wants for you. And so the Bible says in Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. When I have these God, what is your will for me life moments, there's a bit of anxiety for me. I just have to be honest with you. Um, there's a bit of anxiety like God... I know like there's this crossroads because here, let me just set the stage. I have a high view of the sovereignty of God. Pastor Matt, that's a big word. What do you mean? The sovereignty of God is God's authority to act in any way, in any time, in any place, in any circumstance in all of humanity. I also have a high view of the providence of God. What is the providence of God? The providence of God where sovereignty is his authority, providence is his ability to act in time. In other words, if you're a police officer and you happen to see The Rock, I don't even know why, I just literally thought of this on the way here this morning. You see The Rock perform a, an unlawful act in your presence. As a police officer, you have the authority to arrest him. However, if The Rock decides to rebel, if he decides to resist arrest, you may not have the ability to arrest him, right? The sovereignty of God and the providence of God says God not only has the authority, but he has the ability in any and every circumstance and scenario. I have a high view of both of those. And let me tell you what I also have a view of. I also have a view of the free will of man. It's just the way I read scripture. And when I look at scripture, I believe that God has a free will for man. And there's where I find a bit of my anxiety when I'm praying about the purpose and will of God for my life. Like, God, I understand there's a free will here, and I understand in your sovereignty and your providence, it could all work out, but I carry this bit of anxiety oftentimes when I'm trying to make a decision for the will of God for my life. Like, if I choose this thing, I know I'm saying no to something else. So there's this bit of anxiety. Um, David Platt talks about the will of God and seeking it like this. He said in his book, Follow Me, his ultimate concern is not to get you from point A to point B along the quickest, easiest, smoothest, clearest route possible. Instead, his ultimate concern is that you and I would know him deeply as we trust him more completely. Now, Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Just Do Something, said this. It's sort of funny the way he starts out. God is not a magic eight ball that we just shake up and we peer into it whenever we have a decision to make. He is a good God who gives us brains, shows us the way of obedience, and invites us to take risk for him. Have you ever got before the Lord in the face of God and said, God, I am trusting you with my life, but what is your will in this circumstance? Theologians disagree about how we may arrive there. Like we just trust God and it'll all work out, or we actively seek the face of God and make it a sin. So, but what they don't disagree on 
what theologians don't disagree on is that whenever we turn from the face of God and we decide to act in our own way, regardless of trusting in Jesus or what God may or may not say, what they don't disagree on is that can lead us to a place where we are out of the will of God. That's the story of Jonah. When Jonah said, when the book of Jonah says in verse 3, chapter 1, and he went down to Joppa and he boarded a ship so that he could run from the presence of God. Last week we said this. The word presence is the Hebrew word panim. Panim means face. What we understand here, theologically, Jonah knew, I can't run from the physical presence of God. Everywhere I am, God is. Everywhere I'm not, God is also there. I cannot run from the presence of God. But what he was running from was the relationship with God looking God in the eyes and into his face and saying, God, what is your will? I would rather, this is what Jonah said, be out of your will, not look into your face, be out of relationship with you and go the way that satisfies me than look into your face and go the way that I'm just, I'm just not happy about. And theologians will say, it's a dangerous place to be because we begin to walk out of the will of God. And so this idea that we arrived at last week was that Following God, even in difficulty, is an indication of how valuable the face of God is to us. How valuable is the face of God to us? Inevitably, though, we will have these moments in life. If you're a believer and you know Jesus, inevitably we will have these moments where we are convinced or we believe this is the direction I should go and we will walk opposite of it. I believe those moments can also happen when we never seek the face of God and we just say, I'm going this way and I've never sought counsel from God. In fact, I believe for most of us as believers in our current culture and environment, our misalignment happens most often when we never even seek God's face. Not necessarily when we know it and we walk opposite. Most of us would say, if I knew that's the will of God, most of us would say, I'm going the way of God, right? I think the misalignment happens when we never even seek God's face. But what happens when we do know and we walk opposite, Eugene Peterson, who translated the, the Bible into the message, and I want to quote that here in just a minute. Eugene Peterson has this quote, and he explains why it is that we can look God in the eyes and decide to go the opposite way. Why Jonah could say, I know this is what you want from me. I know you want me to go east, but I'm going to go west. <clears throat> Eugene Peterson says, it happens because the Holy Trinity has been replaced by another trinity. Holy wants, holy needs, holy feelings. I, I just be honest, I, I, often, I often act in a way that my holy feelings would want me to act, my holy feelings direct me to do. And if we take out this idea, this, this truth about life that you were created for a greater purpose, that your life was meant to be in harmony vertically with God so that he can inform you horizontally with those around us and the world around us. If we extract that idea and say, just do whatever you want, holy needs, holy wants, holy desires. If we extract that, then Jonah, then Jonah doesn't make sense. Like if God didn't intend for us to be in a deep, intimate relationship with him so that he can influence the world around us, then Jonah doesn't make sense because then we just say things like, well, what difference does it make that Nineveh lives like this? What difference does it make that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh? If he can be happy not going to Nineveh, let Jonah be happy. 
And Eugene Peterson says, we extract the Holy Spirit from our lives and we interpret, interpret our existence by our holy wants, holy needs, holy feelings. Can I say to you this morning, that's not the way we were created to be. That's not the way we were created to live. We were created to get meaning and purpose from God to inform us how we live with those around us. There are times in my life personally when I don't minister to people around me because I simply do not care. I'm, I'm more satisfied because I'm taken care of and I have my needs and my wants in place so I can walk among my city. I can walk among my neighborhood and among the people that I live around and I can believe in a God of grace yet could care less about how that works out in people's lives around me. That's when I have an existence that's more shaped by my needs, my wants, my desires, rather than looking into the face of God and the presence of God and saying, God, what is your will for my life? I have a friend who wrote a book called The Middle Seat. And the premise of The Middle Seat is that sometimes God puts you in places not so that you can put the headphones on and take a nap, but because there's people around you that need the grace of God. And oftentimes the misalignment is not because I didn't talk with a person in aisle 3C, but because I never even took the time to say, God, is, is there a purpose for this moment in this hour and a half flight that I'm on? And so we see the existence of Jonah where he knows the will of God and yet he decides otherwise. I'm created for something bigger. I'm created to be a part of the plan and the purpose of God to get my meaning and my purpose and my deepest satisfaction from a vertical relationship with God. So that leaves us here. There are essentially three ways to live with God. We just cursorily mentioned it last week. Um, we can live in rebellion against God. And, and that's the story of Jonah 1 here. Jonah knows God. He just decides to go the other way. Or two, we can live in unhappy obedience. Like, God, I'm going to do it, but I'm just not really happy about it. Or three, we can live in a way that we say, my heart is aligned with God's heart, and God, I'm going your way with you, and not only am I going with you, but I'm happy and holy in it because I'm trusting you in this purpose and this will. So we're going to get to those second two in the, through the story of Jonah but I, I just want to focus on chapter one today, and I'm not going to take long to do it, okay? Chapter one is a story of a man who knows the will of God and decides to rebel. You know, like Pastor Matt, we're in church. Why would anybody show up on a Sunday morning that's in flat-out rebellion against God? Again, um, I, I believe there probably have been people here this morning that are just run, literally running from God and found themselves here. But I also believe there are people that are in rebellion against God, not because of how they are intentionally living against God, but because they've never sought the heart of God for what life is supposed to be. And so the question is, how does God deal with us in that rebellion? Knowingly, unknowingly, walking away from the face of God I, this is important for you to understand because I think some of us just innately have this sense like, like if I disobey, um, uh, Father God is coming after me with his belt, right? Like, like, like some of us have this idea, some of y'all didn't get spanked so that didn't make sense, but I, that's just how I grew up. And so, and so, but we have this idea, but here is how God responds to us. God's nature towards us when we are running from God 
Here's his nature. His nature is restorative. His nature is redemptive. And Jonah shows us how the power of God can overwhelm that rebellion. And it happens in multiple different ways. It happens in multiple different ways. According to Romans chapter one, we have this idea that we want our way and God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, I'm gonna let you be. I'm gonna let you live the way that you are stubbornly pursuing and I'm just gonna allow the situation to work itself out. And so what happens is, when, when that happens, it's, we, it's like we find ourselves at the edge of this cliff when life really just gets difficult. We find ourselves at the edge of the cliff and we're, and we're looking down into the abyss. Like some of us feel like we're, we're hanging over the cliff, holding on to a branch, and we feel like everything has come undone in life. And Romans 1 tells us the reason for that is because you wanted to choose your own way and I allowed you to choose it. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates the message. I I love this. This is so good. Romans 1, verse 21, people knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands. Listen to how he says this. We traded the glory of God, seeking the face of God and his purpose for God. The God who holds the whole world in his hands. This is for cheap figurines you can buy at a roadside stand. So God said in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. It gives us this idea. Remember Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, the father had two sons. One went on his way and he squandered the wealth that his father gave him and he found himself in the pig pen, destitute, hungry, hopeless until he eventually crawled back to God. We get this sense that when we want to go our own way, there are times when God will say, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them. Now listen to this. Down later on in verse, uh, chapter one of Romans, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them. That just feels like a, 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 a terrible scenario. And let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose, standing at the edge of the abyss. Everything has come undone. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them, mean spirits. This is mean spirited, venomous, forked tongue, God bashers, bullies, swaggerers, unsufferable windbacks. They kept inventing new ways of wrecking their lives. There are times when God will say, if that's what you want, that's the way you can have it. You say, that's ungraceful of God. No, it's not ungraceful of God. If you have a view of free will, then God allows you to choose your will, but ultimately his purpose in allowing you to choose that is not to pay you back for your terrible choice. It's to bring you back to the face of God. 
Romans chapter one, sometimes God will say, you want it, you can have it. The story of the prodigal son. Other times, the story of Jonah. Other times, the story of Jonah. God in his providence. Remember, not just the authority, sovereignty, providence, ability. Sometimes in God's providence, he will intervene and he will bring you back. We said this last week. Storms and chaos are not meant to pay you back. They are meant to bring you back. Now think about this. If you are a parent or you have been a child of a parent like this, you often parent like this. I, I, uh, I parent like this sometimes. You know, if I were you, I, uh, I probably would not do that, right? Like Deacon, you're trying to learn how to ride this skateboard. If I were you, I probably would not ride the skateboard without a helmet and some knee pads because it probably usually doesn't end good, right? Like that, that was the way I was raised. Um, my dad never, he graduated from the unaccredited school of hard knocks. And so his philosophy on parenting a lot of times was, well, if he does it, I guess he'll probably never do it again. He'll just learn his lesson, right? So like sometimes his philosophy was, well, um, you just need to get your head gashed open and go to the emergency room with stitches to realize, you know what? It probably wasn't a good idea to play pinecone wars, Right? And then other times, as a parent, we're like, you know what? That's a really dumb idea. You're not going to do that, right? <laughs> You're not. Nah, this is not. No. You're not going to jump off the house into the pool from the second. That's not a good idea. And so we see sort of these ways that God allows us to run from him. Neither of those scenarios is absent of the providence and sovereignty of God. They all happen under that umbrella. And so we have this scenario where we are running from God and God deals with us in such a way that's not meant to, to, um, to pay us back, but to bring us back. And so Jonah shows us that in the center of the universe, there's a God of this awesome glory who allows us to run from him and his action and attitude towards us is continually to restore us to him. The restorative nature of God is that he's constantly wooing us to his grace and to his face. And so what we finally see in the book of Jonah chapter one is that we get this picture of um, a God who is, uh, is altogether different than Jonah. Jonah's called to preach the gospel of grace in Nineveh, so Nineveh will repent, turn from their sins, experience the grace of God. But we see this major contrast between Jonah and Jesus. Jesus is the greater Jonah. And so when we understand who Jesus is, we begin to understand how the power of God can overwhelm us in our sin. Jonah did everything wrong. Everything. He wanted the destruction of the Ninevites because he was a patriot in Israel and he wanted nothing more than the Ninevites to be destroyed. Jesus loved the Ninevites and he wanted them to experience grace. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran to his enemies. Jesus, uh, Jonah went into the belly of a whale, and he was, I mean, he went into this, uh, this boat running from God. He's tossed into the sea, and the sea becomes calm. He goes down into the belly of a whale, and three days later, he spit up onto dry land. The greater Jonah, the greater Jonah experienced the wrath 
of a, of a raging sea on the cross of Calvary. Jesus was put down into the earth for three days. He comes out of the earth at the right hand of the Father. We see this idea that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah's on a mission of revenge. The Ninevites should get what they deserve. Jesus is on a mission of rescue because he loved them. Jonah's all about self-protection. Jesus is all about self-sacrifice. Now think about this. In Jonah's eyes, the sin of Nineveh was wretched. Think about it. We said last week, they were modern day terrorists. They were modern day Nazi Germany. In Jonah's eyes, they're undeserved. Their sin is deplorable. And so what Jonah wanted for them was not to turn to God. But the thing is, if we understand this correctly, not only am I Jonah, oftentimes I run from God, but I'm also Nineveh. My sin towards God, my rebellion towards God is wretched and deplorable. A holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And then there's this, this, this strange turn of events. Like, like we understand that part, like God can't be in the presence of sin. So we automatically assume he's chasing after us with this wrathful vengeance. But the difference between Jonah and Jesus is that even though our sin is wretched and deplorable, even though I am Nineveh, Jesus doesn't chase after me. Jesus runs towards me to experience the grace of God. Jesus is the greater Jonah. He shows us, he shows us how the power of God can overwhelm our sin in our rebellion against him. Ultimately, God wants us to have a heart like his, not to just obey and do it, in this manner where it's like, God, I do it drudgingly and reluctantly. He wants us to have a heart that's transformed by a profound experience of grace. Where are you today? Like, honestly, uh, some of you would just honestly, from the bottom of your heart, like Jonah, we said last week, Jonah shows us how to obey God in most of life. We don't see all of Jonah's life, and he's a prophet. He knows God. In most of Jonah's life, he's probably obeying God. There's just one circumstance and scenario. I bet most of us in this room are probably like, yeah, I'm like Jonah most of the time. I don't, I don't think I'm openly rebelling from God. I'm not running from God. I'm not trying to avoid God. I'm in church for goodness sakes. But I wonder, I just wonder if the misalignment with our life is not that we're openly rebelling. It's just that we're never seeking the heart of God. We're running from the face of God. I don't know, for a million reasons. God, I'm afraid of what you may say in this circumstance. I'm afraid of how you may instruct me in this relationship. God, I'm afraid of what you may do with my finance. God, I'm afraid of what, how you may, I'm afraid, God, if I pray about, and I seek your heart about my vocation, I'm afraid, God, to do something different than I'm doing now. Where are you? And then others are probably at the edge of the abyss, even in church this morning. Like all hell is broken loose. And I feel, like, God, everything has come unwound, and I'm just hanging by a branch, by, by a limb. I'm just hanging on for dear life, and I'm expecting God because I know, I know I have run from your face. I'm expecting it, this branch is going to break at any moment. And God's saying, my response is restorative. My response is, is not retribution towards you. See, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. It's not retribution, it's restitution. 
I'm going to restore the goodness of your life that I intended and purposed. I, I would just, maybe this week, maybe the most important application this week from reading Jonah 1 is that you honestly get before the Lord and you say, God, what, what do you want? Uh, um, the band's going to come out. We're going to play one song. We'll be done. Last week, I was vulnerable with you to tell you about, about me being Jonah oftentimes in my, my walk with the Lord and seeking his will and purpose for my life, my family's life. And, and that was one of the negative experiences of walking away from God being like Jonah. But let me just tell you this. Let me, let me go to the positive side. When I graduated Clemson University, I knew God had ministry for me, full-time vocational ministry. I, I was convinced of it. And so I'm praying, God, where do I go to get trained to know the Bible, study the Bible, teach the Bible, to minister to people? And my roommate from Clemson had graduated a year ahead of me, a, a semester ahead of me, because I took off when my dad got sick in 1999. And, and so he went off to Dallas, Texas, to seminary, and I thought, this is where I'm going to go to seminary. I've been praying one prayer. God, I want to go to a place to get trained in ministry based on this one thing. God, I want to go to a place where you have a man who will invest into my life, an older, wise man who will mentor me and train me in ministry. God, that's my only prayer. I'm seeking your face. I'm trusting you. But God, send me to the place where you've raised up a man. So I go to visit Southwestern Seminary in Dallas, Texas. I, I, I'm 99.9%. .9 this is where I'm going. And I get there and I can't explain it to you. I know you're like, Pastor Matt, this is it's sort of like, the, are you really telling me to seek the will of God based on? So I didn't get a Bible verse. Like nobody came up to me and was like, yeah, uh, God don't have a man here for you. Um, it wasn't like that explicit. I took the tour, sat in the classes, talked to people. And after everything was done, I thought, this, does, this isn't right. This isn't right. I can't explain it, God, but I know I've genuinely been seeking your heart and your face. I want to know your will. But this just is not right. And so instead, I ended up going to another school in Raleigh, North Carolina. In fact, I didn't even know where it was. I, I went to, to Winston-Salem, <laughs> and, and I was two hours away. I showed up for a tour, and I'm like, where is this school? They're like, uh, it's not on my map. I don't think you're in the right even like county. And so I showed up in the wrong place, and I got there. I ended up going to school there first two years, there wasn't a man who stood up and said, I want to invest into your life. About two years in, I get a phone call randomly from a professor that I highly respect. that said, I want, would you come meet with me every Thursday? I want to pray with you. I want to um, mentor you, disciple you. God raised up another man. Because of that one mentor in our life, my wife graduated from that school. We're walking out of the chapel one day and we are um, headed to our car. We're going to Jacksonville, Florida. And this man says, hey, hold up, before you go, can I catch up with you? And so he's walking with us as we're walking out of Appleby, I mean, um, out of, we're walking out of the chapel, and he looks at me and says, hey, there's a church that's looking for this position, and I want to recommend you. I literally laughed out loud because it was one of the most incredible churches on the planet. I thought, no way, I'm not qualified for that. And the next day I got a phone call from who would become my eventual boss. I went to that church. That church would eventually be the church that sent us here to plant this church. I'll tell you all that to say, there are times in my life when I run from the voice in the face of God, but there are times 
when I genuinely want to trust God, and I want to say this to encourage you today, you can trust the voice of God. Even when you have your mind made up and you think, this is the way I'm going, trust in Jesus that he is going to direct your paths and guide you in the way that you will experience the most purpose and meaning you've ever experienced. Maybe this week you need to say, God, what is your will? What's your purpose? Because that's what I want for my life. I want to pray for us right now. I want to sing one song. We'll be done. Before I pray, I want to say that there may be some of you in this room who have never experienced the grace of God to transform your life. Some of you have already experienced that. You need to come back to that experience today, that profound experience of grace. But yet some of you have never trusted your life to Jesus. You've never given your heart and life to him where he saved you and transformed you. In Jesus' name, I ask you, please don't leave this auditorium, this theater today without spending a moment and saying, Jesus, I know you created me. I know you love me. I know that I've sinned against you. The result is death both in this life and the next unless I trust in the grace and glory of God on the cross to save me. Today I give my life to you and because I've done so, the Bible says you now become a child of God. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, I, I beg you today, please do so. Please do so. If that's you, as we end the service today, I'll be out in the lobby and I would love to see you. Just come up to me and say, Pastor Matt, I'm trusting Jesus for a relationship with him and I want to help you begin that process and that journey of walking with Jesus. Lord, thank you for today. God, I thank you that you care about us so significantly. Lord, that you don't, you're not aloof and you're not far, you're not unknowing. God, in your grace, you as part of the process of wooing us back to you, Lord, you may allow us to experience the abyss and the depths of our sin so that we know how good the grace of God is. God, thank you that at other times your providence, your ability, your sovereignty, your authority to snatch us out of a scenario and situation. Lord, even there's moments where we can't even guess in our lives because we never experienced it, but we can recognize that it's not outside of your control to do so. Thank you that you care about us that much. God, may we this week be a people that say, Jesus, what is your will for me? What's your purpose for me? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.